This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Halton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. So for now, hey, our fearless friends, here's Lisa Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV, radio, terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, we are joined by yet another phenomenal guest. So who is my guest of today? Well, what I can tell you is Amani Williams is the founder of the nonprofit organization March for Black Lives. This organization was created to maintain the focus on the anti-racism movement and create a platform for many oppressed voices. The mission statement is to rebuild the black community through policy reform and educating the public. Amani created this movement in response to the brutal killing of George Floyd. As someone who has personally almost lost a family member to police brutality, George was the last straw for Amani. Amani wanted to do more than just post her frustrations online to her friends. She wanted to look into the eyes of those who cared while she spoke to make a bigger impact. As a young black woman, Amani has experienced many injustices and much discrimination from childhood following her into adulthood. Amani hopes through her movement she can keep the urgency spotlight on anti-black racism and can create a judgment-free zone whereby those who are not as aware of the issues can come and learn more. Through her rallies and marches, Amani aims to educate the public of the many black victims of police brutality which goes unnoticed. She also focuses on educating the public against uh, sorry about black individuals and their unique experiences, petitions to sign, highlighting the unjust systems in place while also holding those in positions of power accountable. March for Black Lives has been running for three months to date, and Amani has hosted three rallies thus far in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. These events have worked to highlight the constant injustice on all facets of the marginalized community's lives through police treatment, the justice system, schools, work, and everyday life. Amani Williams moderates a Facebook page with many local community members called March for Black Lives Hamilton, where she continues after the marches to Keep the group informed through circulating petitions, numbers to call, emails to send, and stories of the continuous injustices both in America and in Canada. Amani believes it is very important to keep the momentum going both on the streets to march and online. Amani also manages an Instagram page, 
handle being at March for the number Black Lives, where she networks with local Black activists and leaders to help support and promote their movements as well. Photos from past marches are also often shared on both the Facebook and Instagram page, which captures the true energy the crowd experiences on each occasion. Amani Williams has been interviewed twice by the Hamilton Spectator newspaper, in addition to her being featured many times on the newspaper's front cover for being recognized as a change maker in the city. During the interview process, Amani touches upon what sparked her to start the organization as well as her identified goals she has for March for Black Lives. Amani Williams has also been interviewed three times live on air by Scott Thompson from the Global News CHML 900 radio station. These conversations dove into topics such as recent injustices, white supremacy, non-black allyship, systematic racism, and much more. Updates on the development, future plans, and upcoming events for March for Black Lives can be found on Facebook and Instagram. A website for the organization will soon be released. In the interim, for anyone who is not connected to social media, Amani is accessible through email at marchforblacklives at gmail.com. Welcome, my friend. How are you? Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm doing very well. I want to just dive right in and first of all, commend you. Uh, this is, you know, it, it's unbelievable what we're seeing happening. It's been a succession. And of course, George Floyd was the catalyst in terms of 2020. But we know that this has been historically happening. Uh, we know that people now, such as yourself, are stepping up to the plate, including more recently the NBA with their boycott and other sports organizations. And uh, people are just getting massively fed up. Um, but there's also a big portion of the demographic where people seem to be desensitized to the issue. And it's just become lip service as opposed to action taking. So the fact that you've initiated and spearheaded this as a way of not only raising conscious awareness, but also increasing heightened educational uh, pieces around all of this for people who don't necessarily uh, necessarily share your history or what you yourself have encountered. I just want to say good on you. I mean, this does not go unnoticed. It's not unappreciated. It's very important work, particularly in these times. Uh, and you should be extremely proud of yourself. So for everything that you do and on behalf of the global audience listening here today, I want to thank you very much. Thank you so much, Lisa, for recognizing this and the importance of it and um, why it needs to, you know, continue to happen and why it cannot stop. Thank you so much for that. Well, my pleasure. It's the least I can do. So in the bio, um, you mentioned that this was all catapulted, not only by George Floyd, but the, the straw that, you know, broke the camel's back, so to speak, was due to a family member um, who had encountered police brutality. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think the backstory always lends credence to what sparks uh, the fire within people to want to take the cause, the plight, the mission forward. Definitely. Um, I've never actually spoke about this publicly, so I'll try my hardest to keep it together. But um, it definitely was one of my family members that is very close to me. I want to um, keep his identity yeah. a little bit um, anonymous there. But just to understand it's somebody that you could not live without. Let's just um, say that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not going to say that he's picture perfect, but what I will say is that um, the force that was used against him that day um, left him in the hospital, um, left him with permanent liver damage, left him with um, a pacemaker in his heart, um, and he is under the age of 30. He could have been um, 
no longer with us, leaving us with um, children to take care of in his place. Um, and of course, you know, there was no justice seen in that situation. Um, so often in stories like that, it's just like if the police don't get charged for, you know, brutalizing somebody of color, um, then it is not recorded publicly for everyone to know. Um, and that's one of my main demands is that regardless if the police get arrested or not, um, stories like mine and similar stories that I've heard of, of people in my um, community need to still be highlighted so that we can understand that this isn't just an American problem. This mm -hmm. is something that's happening in our backyard. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to hear that the person that you cited who's near and dear to you is, is still with us. Um, that is the case, correct? Yes, that is the case. Um, unfortunately, that's not the case in many other um, instances, but we are very lucky that he's still with us today, definitely. Right. And we know that George Floyd is unfortunately one of many names. I mean, we could go on, but just to make mention of some of the other names that have been highlighted in the news with regards to either uh, police brutality, uh, people who have lost their lives, or more recently, Jacob Blake, who was shot seven times in the back, has now been left paraplegic from the waist down. But there's Breonna Taylor, there's Eric Garner, there's Atiana Jefferson, there's Aura Roser, there's Stefan Clark, there's Botham Jean, there's Philando Castile, there's Alton Sterling, there's Michelle Cuso, there's Freddie Gray, Michael Brown, Ahmed Aubrey. I mean, the list just goes on. And you're right, you're quite right to say, obviously, that this is not just uh, an epidemic that has occurred in the States, although the States tends to bring a lot more um, focus to it. Um, and the sports teams and, and them being the franchise is primarily American, uh, that's really gained a lot of notoriety and attention on the subject matter at hand. And a lot of those names I cited were in fact people living within the States. Uh, so a lot of the, the surveys, surveys, the stats, um, a lot of the big storytelling to put the subject matter into place for the general public does tend to come out of the states but you're quite right to say that this is this is this is everywhere not just in our backyard but this is systemic across the entire globe um so let's talk a little bit about the the inception of your movement let's talk a little bit about what you have created and cultivated as a result of putting this initiative forward and what the reception in the buy-in has been. For sure. Um, my main goal with creating this organization, um, like you noted, like you uh, mentioned earlier, was education. Like, um, I believe that sharing stories is definitely equally as important, you know, sharing um, petitions, um, making people aware of different things are important. But for me, what I've noticed is, you know, there is a new generation of people that want to be allies that, you know, don't share my experience. And how could they ever know if I'm not going to be, you know, an open book to them? Um, so through our organization, we what we've done is just get in contact with a lot of um Black organizations, Black activists. We've even um, connected with some Indigenous groups as well, um, just to basically bring our um, faces, bring our stories, bring our pain, um, bring our just genuine human experiences to a bigger scale. Mm -hmm. um, and then show people that, hey, you know, you know me. I'm your friend. I'm someone you follow on Instagram. You know, I'm just that girl next door, but this is what I've been feeling. And we bring it all the way down from you know, when we were kids to today, you know, this is not something that changes or we grow into. No, this is something that unfortunately we have to deal with every single day of our lives. 
and since the first march um and the first rally i definitely got just countless messages of people black white indigenous every culture coming to me and saying you know thank you for creating a platform where people were just honest for once you know we didn't feel like we had to water down our experiences we didn't have feel like we had to you know worry about other people's um the way they were comfortable or not we just felt like you know just like i sit and i speak with my family i can sit and speak with you guys and if you genuinely care um you know you can grasp that um so since the first march um we just made such a strong online community i message a lot of people personally um and we're just keeping the momentum going here in hamilton keeping the pressure on the the police keeping the pressure on ourselves even you know your own family members i have messages of people i'm um, sending me stuff where their family members are going back and forth with them like you know having those difficult conversations but it's so important to do that and with our um organization as well our main goal is just to to liberate our community that means to you know highlight black businesses um because sometimes you know other companies get get the highlighting and black companies are the ones that are you know barely recognized barely acknowledged ever bought from or anything like that so um by doing this and bringing them to the forefront that at least shows that you know our dollar is powerful and um the least we can do for our community while we're fighting for for bigger change is support ourselves locally and um that doesn't obviously just come from our community that comes from everybody else um within it as well fantastic fantastic so let's talk a little bit about uh the police and let's let's talk i i like to play devil's advocate with all my guests where i think it's appropriate to do so so as to deepen uh the depth and the breadth of the conversation which oftentimes brings about alternative perspectives that the listeners may not have necessarily contemplated or considered so you've had some personal experiences which would to many people looking on the outside in might say okay well this might taint amani's uh, ability to be objective when it comes to law enforcement because this is you know touched somebody close to her she herself has gone on record as recognizing and and declaring that she's had her own experiences from childhood right up into adulthood um you know what would you say to the degree that you're you're able to be objective in terms of police and law enforcement when we're talking about defunding the police the pros the cons the risks the benefits uh what's your stance and viewpoint on law in- enforcement as well as what's arguably become a very contentious issue right now in terms of defunding for sure um i can definitely understand where people are coming from you know um when it comes to being objective with the police and not once have I ever said you know all police are bad um you know we need to you know destroy the police system or anything like that that's not where i'm coming from that's not mm-hmm. the message that i'm trying to to portray um but but you know the numbers don't lie there's statistics coming out every single year every single week and it's just like i don't want any more studies what i want is change and um with my organization it's like what we realized is you cannot change what you do not acknowledge so all we want to do is bring the facts bring the statistics bring stuff that you guys you know are bringing out to the forefront for everyone to view let's bring that back towards you and then ask you hey now that you've acknowledged this what can you come towards us and change um so as far as defunding um i think it's very clear we have the hamilton police um being funded 174 million dollars um and that right there that number is just already outrageous um 
when we when we look at their bill, we see them spending thousands of dollars on Cheetos. Meanwhile, our entire streets are filled with homeless people. Um, the black community and the poor community are living in the worst quality um, buildings, rats, roaches. It can go on. So mm-hmm. it just shows that um, you, we see where the priority is in the city. Um, and all we're asking, not only black people, poor people, more marginalized communities, we're asking, hey, can we get some of that money that is also public tax dollars and uh, reallocated into our community so we can actually have something to be proud of, you know, actually work together to be better communities so that the police do not have to engage so much within our communities. That is why the funding is so important, because if it's not coming from that, from who is harming us, who else should it come from? Excellent. Good question. Almost rhetorical, um, but true what you say. And, you know, because I myself and the people that I interview, and clearly you are as well for having spearheaded this movement and this organization, uh, you know, it's about being solution focused and it's about inviting everybody's voice at the table so as to collectively unify and be part of the solution. Because the more plugged in, the more engaged, uh, the more receptive people feel to being part of something that they share commonality with, then that's when we start to see shift and change. That's when things start to happen. That's what becomes the catalyst. So has there been any receptivity or curiosity or any reaching out either on your behalf or anybody to invite the police to use their voice in a constructive way that they can acknowledge and validate the concerns of what can't be disputed but at the same time working together right instead of fighting against each other or or uh there being perceivably some ongoing divisiveness, which is, I know what you're, this is not what you're about, but I'm just talking about from an organizational standpoint, has there been any involvement or exchanges between you and the police, positive, negative, otherwise, to elicit their support or elicit their perspective or them rolling up their sleeves and saying, how can we work together? Um, so the only communication really that I've had with the police are just liaisons um, to shut down streets, um, and that's about it. But mm-hmm. I do I do receive messages from them wanting to meet, wanting to you know figure out what they can do. Um, but honestly, I'm not willing to sit and listen at all until we actually see something happen um, on their side. Because when we sit and we talk, it's not like it's nothing. It's not like I can tell you anything that you're not seeing right now online. It's mm-hmm. not a secret why we're out here. You know, it's it's you guys have the records. You guys have the statistics. So to sit down with you and you're not even willing to take a step back and say, hey, OK, the first thing that's very obvious, we've been yelling it since June up and down the Hamilton streets is defunding. How much can we scale back? And then we can actually have a productive conversation like, hey, I'm giving this much money towards this community. How can that help? That there would be a constructive conversation. Um, But before that, um, I personally just don't see how um, that could be productive right now without any actual concrete change. Um, especially because they're planning on having a meeting in the next few weeks talking about how they can't be defunded. So I'm definitely waiting to hear that conversation 
before um, I decide what the next move is as far as ever working with them or um, figuring out what they're actually planning on doing to um, stop these rallies from happening, meaning that change needs to happen. And what, what, what's the first steps on that first? Excellent. Okay, well, let me just ask you this, Amani. You know, like, what do you believe is at the crux of this being an ongoing issue? Like, what do you think is at the crux of systemic racism? Why is this something that's so prevalent and something that seems to, in the news as it's unfolding day to day, it's a succession? I mean, and what I don't understand is the police know, particularly if we're going to reference George Floyd specifically, you know, we live in the age of technology. Everyone's whipping out their phones. Everyone's recording things. Everything's going up online. It's going virtual. So I would have thought, as I'm sure many people would have, uh, you know, would agree with me consensus-wise, that that might have posed as a bit of a deterrent. It might have created a little bit of a food for thought in terms of, you know, this is an accountability piece. Even if it doesn't rid these officers of their own biases or within law enforcement as deep as it might go, but it might challenge them to go, you know what, even for narcissistic, selfish reasons, I might want to put myself in check next time I have to so-called respond to a situation because that could like, that could ruin my career. It could ruin my family. It could defame the community. It could defame the badge, you know? So what do you, what do you think is at the crux of this? I mean, outside of fear, because I think fear is at the crux of most things, unfortunately. For me, honestly, I just see it as if a system was built um, with racism, how can it not be racist? I always ask people that question and they just look at me with a blank stare because it's true. Mm-hmm. How can it not be racist if it was built from racism? Um, and then also on top of it, what, what is sad actually is they're not scared. That's the thing. You, you know what I'm saying? They're actually not scared because if they were scared, we wouldn't have to continue to do hashtag after hashtag. We wouldn't have to continue to say no justice, no peace because justice would be served. But clearly um, what we see time and time after again, especially in my community, is there is a justice system for the police and there is a justice system for others. And until the justice system is aligned for every single person, and, and I'm going to be a little bit controversial here and everybody gets what I like to call black justice, meaning that you get the book thrown at you and you get the worst of the worst sentence, then this will never be, quote unquote, a justice system. Um, and the police system cannot change because you guys are going to continue to be investigated by the SIU, which which is basically your best friend. Like if my best friend was investigating me right now, you think they're going to have me looking bad? Or you think they're going to have me looking good so that we can we can be free and go out for ice cream the next day? I mm-hmm. think it's the latter, right? <laughs> so yeah. it, what I believe is there needs to be a completely separate system that um, investigates police um, wrongdoing. That isn't an internal system of the police investigating the police. And when they decide to do that, then I can actually see maybe there'll be a little bit of change. Also, on top of it, when police training is more than just four and a few months, and then you're out there, then maybe mm-hmm. we'll get better quality police. Um, also, I don't know, can we do racism training? Like, yes. maybe that's an issue, you know what I'm saying? Let, let, let's do some type of testing. Let's do some type of stuff. It's not like that's, that doesn't exist. It's that we're not doing it because we don't want to know the truth. So when mm. stuff like that is implemented, then we can see 
okay, maybe there can be some change in the system. But I'm telling you right now, if nothing changes in the police system, there's just going to be countless hashtags and it's never going to end. Bingo. Bingo. And when I talk about fear, um, I'm talking about more from the, the indoctrinated mindset of whatever the false beliefs or the false concepts are, whether it be having been what people have grown up right? Because children aren't born racist. It's something that they learn. And they've learned it either through their family, their community, uh, media, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm talking about fear coming from the premise of being deeply entrenched as a way of social conditioning, as a way of uh, false messaging, where people want to keep their race or their perspective or their religion or their whatever ranking higher than someone else's because the fear of losing control within their cohort or losing control within uh, their power structure. That's what I'm talking about with regards to fear. Okay, I definitely um, can see that for sure. Um, Honestly, with that, we need to, just like we were enslaved Black people and we we honestly have to undo that, that thinking, that trauma, um, the, the latter is, you know, that privilege was never supposed to be uh, one person's in the first place. So mm-hmm. when we all get back to that, where, hey, privilege is supposed to be for everybody. Everybody's supposed to be treated like a human being. Black, white, indigenous, brown, every single person. Because at the end of the day, the only person that's above us, if you're, if you're, if you're spiritual, is God. And how dare you, when God made a bunch of different fish a bunch of different trees, a bunch of different everything. How dare you, um, as a human being, think that he would only make one type of human being? No mm-hmm. way. No way. Mm-hmm. So when you start getting back to humanity, then it, it's not going to be hard to reverse your mind. Some people, my friends, they're not racist. They just never, they had the privilege of not caring about our situation. So now that they realized, hey, I cannot, I cannot turn my eye away from what you're going through, Because racism isn't just a black issue that we need to get over. It is a black and white issue that all of us need to solve. And once people understand that, I promise you, we'll have a better tomorrow. Bingo. Bingo. And so let's talk about some of the feedback or the insights or the revelations that people who perhaps were oblivious to the plight and to some of the ongoing challenges and tribulations, you know, the, the trials and tribulations that black people, brown people, all marginalized people have been on the receiving end of. What has been, um, what has been cathartic for you or what has made what you're doing even additionally meaningful outside of you feeling the calling to do so as a result of somebody who was perhaps oblivious ignorant to the facts, uh, did not understand what it meant to walk in your shoes or anyone similar, their shoes. What have you heard? What have you been told? What are some of the insights or revelations where it's been like a aha moment? Like, okay, this person got it. You know, this has changed one person. One person can then change potentially 10 other people and 10 other people then can potentially change 20 other people. And it becomes more widespread and it becomes bigger than me, even if it perhaps within this particular organizational movement started with me. So let's talk a little bit about what you've, what you've received that's enriched this experience for you. 
definitely um to be honest there's so many people that message me and just eyes pop open and i love it um but i have to say particularly my favorite type of person to to flip over is the all lives matter um so with that statement there there's what i like to do is i break people up into two groups so there's one people there's one people that i mean one group of people that uh, use that statement to deteriorate the movement and basically let's make an example like one house is on fire um, we're putting water on that, that that house now somebody else comes out hey my house matters too what should we throw water on the house that is completely fine up you know everything's great mm-hmm. grass is green I'm gonna throw, throw water on that or am I gonna continue to focus on the the, the, the actual problem right so that's kind of those people and then we have the All Lives Matter people that are just so genuine. They actually believe in the bottom of their heart that every life matters. My life, black, white, every life matters. And, and, I, and those people there are the easiest to, 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 for them to understand. Um, so with them, I just let them know, hey, <laughs> I, I believe that All Lives Matter. As a black woman, I, I don't see, you know, I don't say I don't see color because that's definitely the worst thing to say. I say I don't see any, you know problem with anybody everybody is everyone it's fine um but the problem of me saying all lives matter and continuing to to um say that and 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 just say it to everybody and openly is that it takes away from the fact that there's many people that actually don't believe that all lives matter and that's why we're going through what we're going through and when i explain that to them right away they're like okay i get it and Mm -hmm. hey (laughs) i am not going to say all lives matter right now until you as a black woman can say all lives matter too and i'm like thank you and then, you know, then we'll have the other ones that, that just won't stop. And the ones that just won't stop, I don't frustrate myself anymore because what I've, what I've realized is, hey, if people can go to school to be a doctor, people can go to school to be a lawyer, people can just do the hardest equation, they definitely can understand what's going on as far as systematic racism, white privilege, all the stuff that is so prevalent, so obvious, can be explained so thoroughly if you don't understand it after that, it's because you don't want to. <laughs> right. You, you know what? To. And I appreciate you saying that because we often do talk about this in context and in relationship to many aspects of life. It does fundamentally, when you're an adult, regardless of what your upbringing was, regardless of how screwed up or dysfunctional some beliefs, belief systems were that were um, predicated on you believing and buying into as a child or as a teenager when you're an adult it comes down to choice you can reverse your thought process you can undo the mindset you can recalibrate and you can align yourself with people such as yourself Amani who are doing things that stand to benefit humanity as a whole and who doesn't want to live in that world I mean, that's the world I want my children to live in. And eventually that's the world I want my grandchildren to live in. Um, You know, so it all starts with us. We all have to look at ourselves uh, as equally either part of the problem or part of the solution. And then determining what do my actions, what do my inactions, what, what comes out of my mouth or what isn't coming out of my mouth that should perhaps come out of my mouth. You know, what do I need to do? Rather than pointing the finger and blaming everybody, if everything starts with each of us and we all hold ourselves individually accountable, that's how, that's how we shift change monumentally for the benefit of the collective. And alternatively and conversely, it has the uh, potential 
to work on the other side. You know, what we put our attention on grows stronger. That can work for the positive or conversely, that can work for the negative. So whether we're, you know, if, if people are getting behind white supremacy, if people are getting behind, uh, you know, slogans and mantras and things that are indicative of being racist and being prejudicial, uh, then, you know, truly you got to look at what what good is going to come out of that for your children, anyone else's children, humanity as a whole, individual societies, communities. Um, so I, I think it's really good when you say what you said, because I'm always about choice. It comes down fundamentally to choice. So what are you choosing that is helping or conversely, what are you not choosing that is contributing to the ongoing perpetualness of the problem? A hundred percent. Honestly, you hit the nail right on the head. I don't blame anyone for the way they think because, hey, me, even as a black woman, I was so complacent to the the disrespect, the disregard, the everything, everything. Right. I just was like, hey, I guess this is what life is as a black woman. You know, it's it's not as out there as America. But but the best way to put it, when I went to this last rally, the man said in America, um, a racist will come and he will stab you in the back and you'll turn around and you'll know who stabbed you in Canada. You'll walk down the same hall and people will, you know, they'll take a little knife and they'll just cut you and you'll look around and you're like, who's doing this? And they'll say, sorry, sorry, sorry. Death Mm -hmm. by a thousand cuts is still death. And it's not any better than being stabbed in the back once. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, I'm done. I, I can't let anybody walk through this world ignorant to what's going on with your neighbors, your friends. You say you care about us, Black people, when we're, we're bouncing a ball, when we're dancing for you, when we're singing for you, when we're your best friend, when you're, we're your sassy friend. So stand up for us. If all lives really matter, stand up for us so we can matter too. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, so what would you say? Because again, I like to cover all spectrums. So, um, you know, the listening audience might be thinking and hoping that I ask this question because I'm very plugged into them and and their feedback indicates that the synergy is very much aligned. So what would you say? either as a form of ignorance or as a form of complacency. When, when people say uh, or they denigrate black lives because they look in some cases where blacks are killing their own, blacks are killing blacks. So why should anybody outside of that race, race uh, you know, go to bat for them when there's so much disregard and disdain within their own culture, within their own ethnic uh, group? What do you say to people who have that viewpoint? Okay, so for those people, oh, oh, I have a lot to say, but I'll keep it cute. <laughs> I'll keep it really cute um, for them. It's like, hey, let's 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 really dissect this. So you're saying, obviously, within a community, we kill ourselves more. Okay, that that's a fact. That's a fact. I will not dispute that fact. That is 100% fact. Now let's look at white people. White people kill more white people than any other race. Great. Now let's look at Asian people. Asian people kill more Asian people than any other race. All of this is true for every race. But why is it that when black people are talking about the law enforcement that's supposed to serve and protect us, killing us, that you must come up with terms like black on black crime? If we're talking about black on black crime, then we need to talk about white on white crime. We need Bingo. to talk about Asian on Asian crime brown on brown crime and then I will see that term as less racist and especially if you really do care about our community 
you know, you're making a valid point. Yes, it is wrong what we're doing in our community. Let's think about why we're doing this in our community. Do our brothers and sisters get equal opportunities for work, education, any of that? If you really care about that and you want to bring it up to gaslight Black Lives Matter, please actually do something within the Black community to make us better so that things like Black, sorry, quote unquote, Black on Black crime won't exist. Do you understand? Like, you know, it's just as simple as that. Brilliant. Well, thank you for that. And I knew that that was the answer that you were going to come back with because that is, in fact, true. When, when, you, when you measure Black-on-Black crime with every other ethnic background, it's the same. It's the same, and yet you don't hear that, right? So even within looking at a, a common stat, you're still marginalized within the stats in terms of who gets the negative attention, the negative publicity, Right. Because all that other stuff that you just mentioned gets discounted, which is disproportionate. It's unfair and it's misrepresentational. Definitely 100 um, percent. There's just no excuse for it at this point. Black on black crime doesn't exist. If, if we're not going to acknowledge any other race, then let's abolish black on black crime. Because and, and even if you want to talk about it, please talk about it separately to police brutality, because that's a whole different situation. Absolutely, it is. Absolutely. So, you know, what do you forecast? I mean, outside of your own initiative here and the gains and the successes that have come with that, and more importantly, the level of increased and enhanced awareness and educational piece surrounding it, uh, and it being very unifying, what do you forecast in terms of what we're seeing unfold, your contribution to being, uh, you know, as part of the solution? Uh, other people following suit with their own initiatives in their own alternative backyards in different countries. What what do you foresee? Are you optimistic? Are you optimistic that all the work that's going into highlighting uh, the inequities, the discrepancies, the disparities, the ongoing everything that unfortunately still makes this a topic of discussion? Are you optimistic, Amani, that this is going to create change, long lasting? Uh, reversible change or or do you think that what we continue to see in the news today is just going to continue and continue and continue and if it does continue what is that going to blow up into being like at some point it's like you know there's a climax to everything so at what point what becomes the perceivable outcome that just I don't even know how to characterize it but do you know what I mean like where is this all leading? If nothing does change, where is this going? What's this leading to that becomes like the big tsunami or the uh, the big, you know, 9-11 once again? Like what is it, what direction do you foresee us going into? Um, honestly, I'm very optimistic. Um, the reason why I'm optimistic is because, hey, I don't have any other choice but to be. Um, and then on top of it, I... I just see the allyship and I appreciate it a hundred percent. I feel like um, non-black people are getting a lot less scared to be vocal on, Hey, you know what? That that's actually not factual. These are the facts, you know, Hey, no, he did not deserve to get shot seven times in the back in front of his children. No, we're not going to bring up, you know, his, his record um, to justify him getting almost, you know, executed in front of his children. I love to see that. And I feel like as long as we're challenging those thoughts and, and showing people that, hey, this is coming from a place of racism, that, that change will come. People are getting fired as we speak right now um, from their jobs, from being racist, from being, you know, um, um, problematic. And, and that's something that is, is amazing. 
You know what I'm saying? I don't mm-hmm. think we can change every single racist person. But what I say is, hey, be racist inside of yourself. Don't bring it out. <laughs> as soon as you bring out the racism, that's when it becomes a problem. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If I walk past you and you have a problem with my, the color of my skin, keep it inside your brain. Just like when we were kids and our, our mom would say, hey, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. I feel like us as a society need to get back to that place mm-hmm. um, of just humanity. Um, also, just like the awareness, I'm not going to stop. I, I have not posted a regular photo in forever. The only photo I posted like of myself was like a few days ago, and that was just to promote some earrings. Like I am so serious about this. I have friends that are so serious about this. We're the new generation where social media, you're never going to stop seeing it, hearing about it. Your privilege is always going to be interrupted when you see another black killing. And until you understand that new can help, then, you know, it's just going to keep going. And then if the police can't stop killing us, I, I, they need to stop, they need to stop policing us. That's it. I, mm-hmm. Black people, we, we don't want to be policed by you guys no more. Let's figure out something like that. Because at the end of the day, what else is there to do? You're not going to mm-hmm. stop killing us. And mm-hmm. I'm not, and I'm not going to continue to live in fear. I'm a black woman. I have desires to have children. I must go through the pain of having a child in me for nine months, giving birth to, to feel like if they um, itch the back of their head, they're getting shot. Come on now. Mm-hmm. I refuse mm-hmm. to live in a world like that. Absolutely. I refuse. And, and at the end of the day, there, there's a majority of people that are tired of this. So if you're tired, be tired with us and help us fight so this can't happen anymore. And that we actually can sit down and say, yo, all lives matter. If you're racist, sit over there in your room and just be quiet because we're over here being equal, being respectful and making sure black lives aren't taken um, unjustly anymore. Fantastic, Amani. Let's just be cognizant of time, but I do want to discuss a little bit about reverse racism and how that gets misrepresented as equal opportunity. You know, so for example, when we're talking about college or university or even employment um, acceptances or positions made available. You know, there's usually now, uh, so as not to look racist, there's usually some quota that's attached to, okay, we need to hire at least X percentage of minority groups so that there isn't backlash, so that there isn't, um, you know, it, it doesn't come off per- being perceptively or perceivably um a prejudicial in any which way, right? We're giving representation to marginalized groups. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are welcome to my life. (laughs) Um, Honestly, that's something that we're exploring right now in the organization. I'm going to expose workplaces. Um, I don't think it's appropriate for you to have a racism. um, You're you're teaching me a racism, uh, a racism course, but you're only hiring me because you have to fill a quota. That makes no sense. Why is there only one person that looks like me in this job? And I have a bunch of my black friends that are overqualified, still waiting for a position. It's it's unacceptable and it's not going to be accepted anymore at all. Um, I had a woman in our Facebook group come forward and, and hold herself accountable. And I, I urge people to do the same. She said, hey, I have a business and I've been hiring people through word of mouth. So, of course, you know, they're all white. Um, and I'm realizing that there are other people of color that are capable and wanting a job. And I want to diversify my workplace. So can people, you know, connect me with those that are looking for a job, been looking for a job, are sitting in the no pile because their name doesn't look familiar to the person that's going through it. 
and let me go ahead and give them that opportunity. So, you know, she's the first one to start it. And, and we will be putting fire under a bunch of um, organizations that my, my, me, myself have worked for, a bunch of my friends have worked for, that we see are blatantly racist, and we'll be calling them out on it. I want to see every name in your no pile. Because are they, do they look like my name? Is it Amani? Or is it going to be Amanda's? And the truth will be exposed. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, so let's just quickly play devil's advocate with those employers or those institutions or those organizations who may not necessarily see um, see what's been currently instituted as the ultimate uh you know, solution that benefits everybody and where it still can't fall within the shadows of looking a little, a little or a lot racist. But in terms of perhaps them saying, well, this is progress, is it not? This is at least opening the door for people as opposed to automatically shutting the door in their face. Like, so what do you say to people who would perhaps if they're Caucasian or they're not uh, in they don't fall into the category of being a minority demographic and they say, you know, I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. I, you know, I, I, I don't know what to say without perhaps offending someone. What I think or what I say may not potentially offend one black person or or people within a minority group, but it still has the potential to offend their brothers and sisters within the same group. Like, so what do you say to people who don't know if what they're doing is in fact constituting change or constituting constituting change enough so that it gets away from how blatantly racist it used to be where uh, minorities and people who are marginalized did not get in the door at all? Like, what do you say to people who feel like they can't win for losing? Um, for them... You know, there's no crime in asking. Everybody's different. So to just put an umbrella on people is just so not okay. Yeah. Um, so just speak to people of color like they're people. You know, hey, Sally's different than, you know, James. So obviously I'm going to talk to them differently because just because you're the same race doesn't mean you're going to, you know, think that something is less offensive in that way. So just speak to people, you know, figure out from your marginalized um, employees, hey, do you have somebody that needs to be hired? Because at the end of the day, there's always going to be opportunities for the majority. It's the minority of people that are continuously not called, not emailed because of their names that need the assistance and need the help. And, and they can acknowledge that themselves. They can look at their own statistics, look at their own employees, look at their own no piles, and, 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 and then there's no question on, about it. Fantastic. You know, and I'm, I'm just being I'm just being the host asking these questions because I if I don't ask all the questions of the things that are either unspoken or people don't think are politically correct enough um, to offer, then we're all working in our own individual biases or bubbles. Right. So I'm asking the questions that I know people are thinking because I want to hear it from your perspective. I want to know what is helpful. I want to know what is still considered racist. I want to know what is part of the problem, what is part of the solution. And I'm not going to go ask another Caucasian person that. I'm going to ask you that. <laughs> so this Definitely. is why I'm, right? So this is why I'm asking you these key questions, because let's not kid ourselves that this isn't what the backdoor conversations are that are going on either within the police Right. Or, or or let's even just quickly, because, again, I'm cognizant of time and money. So when you look at um, 
when you look at certain institutions, if you, okay, so if we look at the organization of policing, right, and they too have had to fulfill a certain quota, and perhaps they have uh, black officers representing law enforcement. What, if anything, have you heard from some of these black officers or people who perceivably in other aspects of life have also been considered marginalized or oppressed? What are black officers saying about their colleagues who are primarily responsible for the police brutality that's going on with people of their own race. Like, I mean, that's got to, I mean, you talk about conflict of interest for a black person or a person of color or a person of uh, outside of Caucasian ethnicity who is part of the establishment when it comes to law enforcement. I mean, what a dichotomy. Have you talked to anybody, a person of color who's within law enforcement to know what's going on for them? Um, I personally haven't, um, but I definitely understand why they are um, silent right now. Oh, they get a lot of backlash if they are to speak out about anything um, or anything like that. For example, I know that there was this woman, um, she was a black officer, and she stopped this her colleague from um, being on the neck of one of the people that they were arresting. Um, and that was like a little bit before George Floyd. And they actually kept the officer on duty and they fired her. So for a lot of people, it's um, it's a very, very hard place to be in. Um, their, their positions are very needed because, of course, like we need people that look like us to, to help us out in, in those situations. But I definitely can understand why they're being quiet. Um, me, myself, I'm interested in speaking to um, officers of color just to see if they can acknowledge what's going on in their system. Um, if not, then that just shows, you know, the brainwashing that takes place within the police system. Um, and then we'll just have to find a different way to, to understand really what's going on. Fantastic. Well, again, being cognizant of time, I want to because you don't know what you don't know. And I'm always looking, I, I'm a student of life. I'm always forever looking to learn from other people. People think I might be the so-called expert or the whatever. I, I don't profess to be. And on a lot of subject matters, I definitely am not. Um, so what I would like to ask or give you the opportunity to do here as we're wrapping up the show, Amani, is there anything that I didn't highlight, didn't ask, but you think it's pivotal for the listening international audience to be uh, privy to, aware of, um, or to highlight that I've not brought, I have not shone the light on myself in this interview. Sure, this was a very thorough interview. I'll first say that, Lisa. Thank you so much. the The questions were so amazing, engaging, um, just amazing, all in all. Um, but as far as anything to say, just please don't let the momentum die. If you heard anything. Um, in this interview that touched you, if you yourself can see what's happening isn't right, don't be discouraged by those that try to say that the problem doesn't exist. Those people don't want to acknowledge it because after acknowledgement comes change. Um, if you want to help, please look up some petitions to sign. Please call um, some departments. We need the fire under there. You know what? So that we can actually get change happening. And when it comes from voices that are privileged, it goes even further. So if you can find it in your heart to sign those petitions, um, donate. Um, just use your voice, use your platform, platform, use your body to come out to the rallies. Please do, and I promise you that the change will come 100%.
Fantastic, Amani. Well, again, I just want to say kudos to you. It's unfortunate that what you're initiating, what you've spearheaded is necessary in the first place. I mean, it, you know, I, I give you credit because this is you stepping up into leadership. This is you taking action. Uh, you know, this is you not playing victim. This is you empowering other people to empower themselves. It's shining the light on something that blatantly should not be happening, cannot be condoned at any uh, level. Uh, so very brave. I mean, this is why you're on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. You've, you've exercised and continue to exercise extreme courage and conviction. Uh, I applaud you for what you're doing. This is tireless. I know this is only one aspect of what you're doing in your life. You've got another full-time job, plus you've got family members. You've got all kinds of things where your attention goes to. Uh, you're multitasking all the time, and you're taking care of other people in your personal life as well, and professionally speaking too. So um, for what you're doing, I just want to say I applaud you. Uh, if there's anything I can do outside of facilitating this interview where I too can become part of the solution in a way that's advantageous for your cause, uh, your movement, your organization, uh, please don't hesitate to ask. It would be an honor to serve. Um, and you're welcome to come back to the show anytime because unfortunately, uh, you know, I think it would be, it's inevitable. This is unfortunately going to continue to be an ongoing issue until such time it does eradicate complete change. It abolishes these issues altogether where you don't have to come on radio. You don't have to spearhead anything because we finally, as a, as a human race, we've gotten it. The message has landed. Uh, I look forward to that day, whether that happens in my lifetime or my children's lifetime, uh, who knows? Um, but nothing would be closer to reaching that, that date and that place in time if it weren't for people like you, Amani Williams. So I want to say thank you to the listening audience. I want to thank you once again for the gift of your time and joining myself and Amani Williams here on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald with the Contact Talk Radio um, Network. I also want to encourage you to reach out to Amani. Amani, again, very quickly, where can people connect with you? Yes, I'm on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I have a website um, and I'm making a LinkedIn tonight. So Fantastic. <laughs> um, we'll be on every single um, platform. platform. Fantastic. So until next week, when we're joined by yet another phenomenal guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, I want to encourage you to stay safe, to stay healthy and to stay, stay aware, stay conscious. And I'm very clear on my purpose. My purpose is to uplift you to fear less and to live more. So I look forward to being back with all of you around the globe who make my show possible and make my content worthy and make my guests with what their initiatives are, their plights and their missions uh, noticed and sharing it out. So thank you again, Amani Williams. And thank you again to the Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald listeners and podcast subscribers. I truly, greatly, immensely appreciate all of you. Take care. All my best. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. 
Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. So for now, hey, our fearless friends, here's Lisa, Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.